All right, East Gordon, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Well, it's finally here. We are coming to the conclusion of our season of Advent, of our Advent series. And in doing so, in doing so, I, and I pray that, that this season has been uh, good for you, that God has used this season in your heart. And the season of Advent, which is a, the four weeks that lead up to Christmas Day. If you've never heard of Advent, that's what it is. It's the four, uh, the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Day. And each week represents something different. And, and I hope and I pray that God has used Advent in your life this season that leads up to the celebration of the Messiah that leads up to the celebration of the gift of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. I hope and pray that God has used this in your life to uh, prepare your hearts for that worship. Because I'm in all honesty, I need in my life, I need the season of Advent. Because just as I've said, or as I said earlier, life is so busy. So many of us go through seasons where we're just looking at the calendar. We're looking at the next thing, the next thing on the agenda. And it, all while we're living in a moment of trying to get something done, in the back of our minds, we're just thinking of the next uh, problem or the next uh, uh, event on our calendars that we have to go and be involved with. And in doing so, we get so overwhelmed with it. We get so stuck with all these things. We I have to be here, I have to be there, I have to do this, I have to do that. If I don't do this, then this isn't going to be able to happen. I have to have everything in order, and if I don't, it might mess up. We get into those feelings, we get into those seasons, and in doing so, we lose sight of the importance of Christmas. In doing so, we lose sight of, of, of our worship. So I, in my life, I need the season of Advent, and I need what it does because it slows me down slows me down and allows me to, or uh, points me to the importance of, of, of Christmas, the importance of the gift of, of the Messiah. So the, Advent, uh, the season of Advent, that's, it's meant to protect our hearts. It's meant to protect our spiritual lives. And as I've said, I, I need that. I need the reminder of the hope that I have in Christ. I need the reminder of the peace that I have with God because of Jesus. I need to be reminded of the joy that I have in the Lord through Christ and Christ alone. And this morning we bring our attention to the final Sunday of Advent, which leads us into the Christmas celebration. I need to be reminded of the love that God has for me as well. And that is what we will be considering this morning, the love of Advent in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And the passage reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen the glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And praise God, Soli Deo Gloria, for the reading of his word today. I want to tell you a quick story before going into the details of our, uh, the details of our passage. This happened to me within basically the first year of my conversion to Christ. Uh, around, the, around that first year when I came to saving faith in the name of, of Christ, I went through a season of, of really doubting my faith, of really doubting my salvation, and not, not just doubting my, my, my faith and doubting the, the, the fact that I was a born-again Christian, not just doubting that, but I also had a season where I was seriously doubting God's love. Where I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom, I couldn't comprehend, and and still it is it's an overwhelming and and captivating mystery to me. I could not fathom the truth that God, who is holy, God who is righteous, God who is filled with glory, God who brought creation into being, God who is entirely deserving of all praise, honor, and worship, this Almighty Being would love me, me in my sinfulness, me and my mistakes, me and my, and my wickedness, me who was insignificant, me who had, had all of these different issues, who even in the midst of it was doubting what he was saying, I, I couldn't believe that he loved me. So there I am, one night in, in December, I'm dealing with all these doubts, I'm dealing with all these struggles, and, and I couldn't sleep. I, it felt like hours that I just could not, could not sleep. And I, I uh, did the only thing that I could really think of in the midst of that uh, moment. I reached over to my nightstand and I grabbed my Bible and I opened it up to where I had left off last and I was reading in the Gospel of John. When I read the Gospel of John, I read this story, read this scene where Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And he's speaking to them in the midst of them doubting him. Like, think of it, the disciples. Like, when we think of the, the disciples, we think, well, my goodness, they're the greatest Christians who ever lived. They're like the guys that Jesus called out to start the church, to go out and tell others across the nations about him. They're the top of the top, or at least we think of it in that way sometimes. But when you read the Gospels, you see they're really messed up, just like you and just like me. 
that, that they were so messed up that they doubted what he had told them. And Jesus is so, uh, it's so amazing how Jesus responds to them in the midst of their doubt. He does not rebuke them. He does not cast them aside. He does not say, I'm done with you. I'm tired of you messing up all the time. Instead, what he does is he tells them of his love. He comforts them in their doubt. He comforts them in their running away. And he tells them and reassures them of his great love for them. As I read that at 15 years old, and that was how old I was when I came to Saving Faith, when I, when I read that, I knew that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was speaking just as plainly to me and that, in that lonely night just as plainly as he was to the disciples in the midst of their doubt. And in doing so, Jesus reassured me of his love towards me. And not only that, I think I've returned to the Gospel of John more so than I have any of the other Gospels. Because in the Gospel of John, I heard a pastor say this. If you read, the, the, if you read through the Gospel of John, you can't help but just fall in love with Jesus. Because that's what you see on every page. You see Jesus loving people who are outcasts. You see Jesus loving people who are, who are the worst of the worst. And not only that, you see Jesus loving hypocrites. You see Jesus loving the people who are so messed up. And you see people, or excuse me, you see Jesus caring for the people who are just trying to get through the day. Just trying to get through the week. You see Jesus loving all types of people. The rich, the poor, the sick, the well the old, the young, you see it all, and you see his love time and time again. Now, the passage which we are considering this morning, uh, verses 1 through 18 of the first chapter of John, uh, in biblical studies, we typically call this passage the prologue of the Gospel of John. Because what, uh, what John does in these, in these verses is basically sets the scene. He sets the scene of the narrative, uh, uh, he sets the scene before the narrative, narrative of the gospel actually begins. He introduces us to the main figure, the central character of this story. And he's known by the name of the Word. It says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the Greek, the term is the logos, or the logos. Some people pronounce it uh, differently, but uh, the logos. And we'll talk more about the importance of that, of that title, of that term in, in a moment. But here's, here, let's focus in on what the passage actually says. It says that the word, or the logos, as it says in the Greek, has been here since the beginning. That in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. And it has always been here. There was never a moment in which the Logos, the Word, was not here. Not only that, but it was with God. And there's never a moment where, where it, it isn't there. And it doesn't say that God created it. It doesn't say that God created the Word or God created the Logos. It says that in the beginning, the Logos, the Word, was there with God. And then it says the next most amazing thing. It says, and the Word was God. So the Word, the Logos, is not something that was created by God. 
It's not something that came into being, but it's something that has been there since the beginning, has always been there. There's never a moment where it isn't there. It is there with God. And then we, not only that, but we also know that it is God. Now, we, we can talk about that. Uh, we can know that one of the reasons that we know that the Logos is God is because, one, the text blatantly says it. It says that the word, the Logos, is God. It was God. Not only that, but it also, the passage also tells us that the word does something that no other thing in, in existence can do. It brought creation into being. It says that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's verse, verse 3. So we know from the account of Genesis that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We've seen that whole narrative in Genesis 1 and also in Genesis 2. We know that it is God who brought creation into being, and we also know that because the Bible is the word of God, the Bible never contradicts itself. So when you see in John that John's gospel says that the Logos brought all things which are here into being, and Genesis says that it is God who brought creation into being, they're not contradicting each other. They're saying the same thing in different ways. So the conclusion that we have to come to is that the God of Genesis is the same God that we see in John's gospel. It's the same. It's referring to the same event. It's referring to the same one, and that one is God. And not, not only that, but, but it keeps going. And then it, it, it says this amazing thing. It says that the Word, in verse 14, and the Word, or the Logos, became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says that the Word became flesh. And we, of course, know that this is in reference to Christ. We, of course, know that this is in reference to the birth of Christ because Matthew's Gospel gives us a birth narrative. Uh, uh, Luke's Gospel gives us a birth narrative. And then John's Gospel gives us this theological, but still a birth narrative, gives us this theological birth narrative as, as well, telling us that Jesus, without any shadow of a doubt, was not some person who God created, but rather Jesus Jesus is the incarnate God. That Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, is God. One more thing I want to talk about with the Logos before we go on to the next, uh, next little section. The Logos, uh, that phrase, the Word, you see that phrase repeated multiple, multiple, multiple times throughout the course of the Old Testament. And each time you see it, it always goes something along the lines of, and the word of the Lord came to blank, came to so-and-so, came to Jeremiah, came to Isaiah, came to Zephaniah, came to Habakkuk, came to Hosea, came to Joel, came to all of these different Old Testament figures. And the word of the Lord came to this person. That, that, that phrase, the word of the Lord came to, is the same phrase that we see in John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. The point of it is, is that this word that we see told, uh, uh, mentioned all through the course of the Old Testament is the same word referring to the same thing in John's 
gospel. Now let's put all of this together for a moment because that's a lot to take in. Let's put that all together for a moment. When it says here in John's gospel, the logos, the word, in the beginning was the word, it's referring to Jesus. Think about that with the Old Testament. Word of the Lord came to Daniel, word of the Lord came to Isaiah, blah, 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 and all, all, the, all the others. What does that tell us? Tells us that the message of Jesus is not just something that appeared and just occurred in the New Testament, but rather that all through the course of the Old Testament, all the events of the Old Testament are ultimately leading up to and pointing forward to this moment, this miraculous moment where Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary and laid in the manger. Now, all the Old Testament is ultimately leading up to this miraculous, life-changing moment. And John, perhaps, more so than the other uh, Gospels, makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God. And I know we've covered this in the past. I know we've talked about this on previous Sundays, but I just have to make this, this abundantly clear. I have to capitalize on this. The truth, I have to focus on this truth, this truth which we call the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because this is the single most, most captivating moment in all of human history. The moment where the perfect God, the one who is omnipotent, the one who is omniscient, the one who is omnipresent, the sovereign Lord over all creation, it's the moment that God himself entered into his creation. Entered into his creation by taking on the human form and taking on the human nature. And you would think that, that this mighty God, you would think that he would enter into the world with the, with the, with the trumpet shout, with the, the sound of angels, uh, a whole army, whole legion. You would imagine that that would be the scene that this mighty God enters into his creation, but that's not what it is. Instead, our God enters into his creation by being born of the Virgin Mary and is laid in a vessel which was used by animals to eat out of. King of the universe was laid in that sort of vessel. I, I, do any of you have pets who live inside? Yeah. You know, you, have, you know their food bowl? It's not, it's not good looking, is it? Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to look at it. You don't want to clean. You don't want to mess with it. It's nasty. Have you ever laid your grandchild in it? Picture the scene: Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who brought all creation into being, the, God, the King of the, the Sovereign Lord over everything, who deserves all honor, glory, and praise. But instead, He comes in through humility and is laid down in something that we don't even really want to look at because of love. We'll talk more about that in, in a moment. So we, that, that's where Jesus is in all of this. 
Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word. So that's where Jesus is. But then we have to ask ourselves this question, where are we in this narrative? Because we are definitely in this narrative. So where, where are we? Well, if you read the passage, you will see, you will notice, and, and you'll undoubtedly come to the, uh, to, to the realization that there's the mention of darkness in different places of this passage. And if you were with us during the time that we went through our series of 1 John, all of last year, a while ago, if you remember, remember that, we spent a lot of time talking about darkness, because John, in the letter of 1 John, he spends a lot of time explaining what it is, so we spent a lot of time trying to understand what it is. If you remember that, then you'll remember that darkness, in, the, in terms of the Bible, is in reference to everything wicked. In reference to all things that are vile, it's in reference to things that are false, things that 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 that, is, that are wrong. It's in reference to everything that is wrong in the world. Not only that, but the Bible also tells us that darkness, that that the devil himself is the ruler of this darkness that we see taking place in our world today. And I want it's important to make a note. It's important to make that note to, to, uh, that this darkness which we are talking about, that our passage talks about, this darkness is not something that's far away from us. This darkness is not something that's hypothetical. It's not something that is a potential possibility. No, this darkness is in the world right now. Our world is completely veiled in a darkness that is thicker than and denser than any fog that you have ever tried to go through, to ever tried to travel through. And the worst part of it is, is that this darkness is something that we can't get away from. No matter how hard we may try, and try though we may, we are unable to get away from this darkness that is, in, that is present within our world. Just consider this for, for, for a moment. We walk in um, we, we just just think of this think of this for for a moment if if this sin problem this darkness problem if it was a problem of our actions then surely we could discipline ourselves to the point where we could solve it then if sin or darkness were a problem of a medical nature then surely we could our doctors could uh, come to a point where they could give us a medicine that could at least manage it to some degree. If sin was an intellectual problem, then surely we could educate ourselves to the point that we could solve it. But the truth of the matter is, is that sin, or the truth of the matter is, is that there is nothing that we are able to do to get rid of this darkness that's in my heart and in your heart and is active in our world today. There's nothing we can do to get rid of it. There's nothing we can do to solve it. There's nothing that we can do. We are trapped in this darkness. So there we are, a people who walk in darkness. But notice what else our passage says. Because right now it's looking bleak. Right now it's looking bad. Right now there's no hope for us. Right now there's nothing good going on in our lane. But notice what else the passage says. It says, the word, the logos, about what Jesus has done on our behalf. It says that he came into this world and brought light. 
that through Jesus there is light. So we see now that there is this struggle that is taking place in the narrative as we read through it. There's this struggle between light and darkness, a cosmic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil that is raging on, and the outcome of this struggle will determine the fate of creation itself. Who is going to win, darkness or the light? And the battle so fierce, uh, so fierce that all of creation is impacted by it. But what else does our passage say? It tells us that this darkness that is in the world, verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome, it has not overcome the light. So in, in, the point of it is, is that yes, there's this struggle between light and darkness, but the good news of the gospel is, is, is that this darkness cannot stand before the light of Jesus Christ. And then no matter how much darkness there is, the light shining forth of Christ will always push it back. It cannot stand before Christ. And the darkness has been defeated. I love how our passage describes this. It tells us that, that we have been given a precious gift because of this light. That the light of Jesus Christ has given us a precious gift, which is unlike anything else, unlike anything else that we could possibly imagine, anything else that we could possibly uh, conceive or think of, even more than we could ever ask of. We have been given the precious gift of being able to call ourselves the children of God. And this gift was made possible because of the light of Jesus Christ. Because just as darkness represents everything evil and vile and wicked, it is light which represents goodness, righteousness, and life. And that life is a gift which none of us deserve, which we in no way could earn or, or make ourselves worthy of. It is a gift of grace through Christ and Christ alone. But let's not forget how our lives have been, how our lives and being adopted in Christ, how that has been made possible. Christ entered into our world, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, sometimes I think during the Christmas season that many of us want to skip over the next part of the story. And in the midst of the Christmas season, we want to celebrate the Christmas narrative. And that, yes, we should celebrate the Christmas narrative. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We should celebrate the Christmas narrative. We should celebrate the gift and the birth of the Messiah. Don't get me wrong, but hear me on this next part. We also need to be reminded of the next part of the story. That it wasn't just through the birth of Christ that we've been given new life. It took him laying down his life so that we could be bought and purchased by God so that he would lay down his life and take my punishment because we don't like talking about that because it reminds us that we are in a state of enmity with God. It reminds us that we are running away from God, that we're, uh, that we're not in a good place with God, that we are enemies of God without Christ. So Christ, out of amazing, immaculate, divine love, is born of the Virgin Mary and lays down his life on our behalf so that we could be given the precious gift of life and be adopted as his children. 
You know, I, I, you, you may not know this about me. I, I don't think I've ever really said this uh, before, but something that I really enjoy, I enjoy uh, art. I enjoy uh, sketching. I enjoy painting. I enjoy uh, watercolor painting. I'm not good, so don't ask to see anything because I'm not exactly proud of my work, but I enjoy it. It's something that I enjoy doing. Not only that, but I also enjoy um studying art, studying different artists and those kind of stories. I enjoy that. But there is one painting that is that has been so striking to me ever since I first discovered it. I'm not entirely sure who the author, or not the author, but who the artist of this painting is. In fact, he may, it may have been uh, painted anonymous, anonymously. I'm not entirely sure. Um, as well as I can tell, the, the name of the painting is The Destiny canvas. And what the painting is, it, it, it portrays Jesus as a child. And he's there in Joseph's workshop, and there's a window up on the wall, and the window's open, and there's light streaming into the room, and you see the baby, the child Jesus there on the floor playing with, with some stuff, and as the light hits him, you see that a shadow is cast behind him, and the shadow is in the shape of a cross. Devin, go ahead and put that image on the screen for us. Here's the painting I'm, I'm talking about. You can't see it very, very well, but you see the wind, you see Joseph's workshop, you see the child, that's supposed to be Christ. You see the light from the window streaming in, and right behind the child, you're supposed to be able to see the shadow of a cross. It brings to our attention the point of the pain. Not only that, but if you look very closely, do you notice what the child is playing with? Nails. Has nails in his hand. The point of this painting is to remind us and make sure that we never forget something. That when we celebrate the Christmas season, we're not just celebrating the birth of a child. We're celebrating the birth of a child who was born to die on our behalf. And we have to, you can go ahead and take that down. Thank you, Devin. The, 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 the thing that we have to ask ourselves in the midst of this whole thing is, why? Why would he endure it? He's God. He's perfect in every way. Why would he lay down his life for those who had continuously offended him? continuously rebelled against him. Why would he do it? Because I know that, that I, I, I've done nothing to earn his favor. In fact, I've given him many reasons to hate me. I've given him many reasons to be disappointed in me. I've given him reason after reason after reason to turn his back on me and to never think of me again. I give him those reasons continuously. And yet, his response, God's response to that question every time is because I love you. It's the most amazing mystery in all of Scripture that God loves us who are completely unworthy of being loved. Completely unworthy of his grace. Completely unworthy of his favor. But he says, while you are hurting and dying and hurting yourself and running away from me, I'm going to lay down my life so that you can be raised to walk in the newness of life because I love you. 
and I'm adopting you as my child. You bear my name now. No longer are you a person and living in darkness. You are a child of the light. You're a child of God. When we praise him for this gift of love, we praise him for the gift of salvation, but we also pray, and this is where we will close, this gift of love which we've been talking about, which we, which we celebrate in is ours in God. We don't just have this love. We want this love to transform our lives. We want this love to shape us and mold us into who God created us to be. And not only that, we want to take this love and share it with others. That's why we as, we, as a church, want to share love to our police officers because we want to, to love them how, and how they serve our community. We want to share the love of Christ with them. That's why we took the love offering up for the, for the India mission trip because we want to help support the, the proclamation of the name of Christ. We want to see people come to saving faith. So we do that because we love. The reason that we, that we do table talk in the way that we do it is because we want to see people's lives transformed and people's questions answered about the Bible and about God because we are a people of love. We want to see people's lives transformed and changed. We're not just here for Sunday. We're not just here for Wednesday. We're here for eternity. We're here to see people's lives changed for the glory of God because of the love that he had for us and the love we want to share for others. We'll pray and we'll have our time of invitation. Lord, it is our prayer. It is our prayer that you be with us in our day-to-day -day lives because we get so distracted with, with the various responsibilities that we have. We get distracted with, with our family situations. We get distracted with our financial situations, our medical bills, our, whatever the case may be. We get distracted in so many ways, Lord. But Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you draw us to focus on the love that you have for us. And may it be that this love that you have for us transforms our dark hearts. May it be that we see old chains that have rubbed our wrists raw. May we see them broken. May we see healing take place in our lives because of love. May we see friendships and relationships be mended because of love. May we see our community impacted because of love. May we celebrate you and worship you in the way that is in the way that you deserve because we love you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of Christ of knowing you. Thank you for all of your many blessings, Lord. Lord, it is our prayer. It is our prayer that we celebrate with each of with our respective families as well as our church body. We pray that we celebrate you in the way that is honoring to you. Solve this that we pray in the name of Christ our Savior.